Empire podcast this week, we talk Dune, Dune. Dune. with Thanos himself, Josh Brolin, and learn all about Spaceman from Paul Dano and actual Adam freaking Sandler, the Sandman himself. All this and more on the movie podcast that is going on tour, everybody. Woo! Hello, pod. I'm Reverend Mother... Gaius Helen Mohira, <laughs> and I'm your host this week because Chris Hewitt is preparing himself mentally and physically for the rigors of an international tour. Yes, that's right. I don't know if we've mentioned it before, but we are going on tour. Birmingham this Friday, the 1st of March, Norwich on March 6th, Sheffield on the 13th, Dublin on the 21st, and Salford on the 28th. Tickets are available, Ticketmaster or empireonline.com slash podtour. Get after it. We have very big plans, or at least like 12% of a plan, which is pretty much close enough. But fear not, in Chris's absence, I am not alone. With me today are three colleagues of such lethal cunning. First up is the Princess Royal, Sophie Irulan Carino, eldest daughter of the 81st Padishah Emperor. And uh, and she's here with us today. Hello, Sophie. Hi, Helen. Hey, how Thanks. are you doing? That's nice being a princess. You know, I thought you'd like it. Yeah. Uh, then, of course, we have Alex Godfrey, Naib of Seach Features. What? <laughs> what features? <laughs> what do you call me? The Naive is like, you know, the, the tribal chief and the Seach is like, you know, the, the clan yeah. house. All right, well, I'm flattered and honoured. <laughs> I don't know what the hell you're talking about, but more of that later. <laughs> and finally, of course, we are joined by the Beast Raban, James Glossu Dyer. I, I resent being Glossu. <laughs> if I'm going to be a Harkonnen, at the very least, I should be Fade Ralpher. Okay, I, know, I thought okay. you were going to be the Baron. Oh, okay, yeah. all right. He can be the Nah Baron. <laughs> nah. Fade <Yeah>. Dyer. <laughs> I accept this. <laughs> How are we all? Living large. Wow, that large, huh? How about you, James? You well, good? as this goes out, I'm in Birmingham. You're Birmingham? Because, because as this goes out, we will be literally in Birmingham. Wandering around. Yep. Well, we should be preparing for the live show, but we won't, we won't be. be. We'll just be sitting no. about. But if you are listening to this and you are within three, four hundred miles of Birmingham, I would I'm say. saying, yeah. get in a car or a sandworm, whatever you like, <laughs> head, head to Central Brum and you can see us live and in the flesh. Mm. I'm going to be June Splaining live on stage. What better draw could there possibly be? Is it a one-man one show? We're it trying may, to sell it tickets. It will be at that point. <laughs> it may be for a certain segment, yes. <laughs> Oh God, help us! Uh, yeah, it's it's going to be it's going to be something. It really is going to be something. We we talked about it the other the other day, and we have some ideas now, and uh, they're all mad, and none of them may work. But you know, it'll be fun. I think. So, yes, it is good. not a regular podcast. It will yeah. be something a little different. I'm not like regular podcast. Yeah. I'm a fun podcast. It's going to be so extra. <laughs> totally extra. Yes. Um. And yeah, you know, it's a, it's exciting times. This is exciting times for the world. We've been doing good stuff. We'll find out about it in a minute, but. Let's start with a question because we are on a time limit today. Um, and uh, I have, I'll have to be honest, most of the questions this week were Dune related. So we're just going to lean into it. We're just going to go with it. Um, and this one comes from at Barthorpe Ellis, who asks, if the Muppets did a Dune movie, which Muppet would you cast in each role? Um, I think Gonzo's nose would make an incredible shy halud, he says. <laughs> um, and I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to slightly, you know, embroider this question and ask who would be the one human cast member who we would keep in their current role. Oh, wow. There, there has to be a human. There has to be a I Michael mean, Caine. You cannot, you cannot beat Christopher Walken. I mean, I mean there's no <laughs> Muppet that can outwalk and Christopher Walken, so he has to remain. But, like, for he's sure. only in it for, like, yeah. a couple of... I mean, no spoilers, but, yeah, he's not the biggest role. I think you, you beef up his role 
you have Wolken because I, I feel like Wolken would would elevate it to the point because he would absolutely treat those Muppets as if they were all Al Pacino, and I think that well, they are all Al Pacino. Th- that would just give better. it a certain extraordinary gravitas. So yes, I'm I'm all for keeping Wolken. No, but he's no, he's not the, a, a central character. In he's the Palashot Emperor he's, Shaddam. Yeah, he's, yeah. Not a, he's not a central character. You need a central character to be human. You need a Scrooge. You need a Paul Atreides. Kermit, Kermit is Paul Atreides. Yeah, yeah Kermit's Kermit got to be Paul, isn't he? I, okay, fine. If we have to keep one cast member and it's not going to be Paul, I say it's Rebecca Ferguson. Uh, that Actually, that was my point, second choice. So point. maybe we go with... Okay, so Rebecca Ferguson, yeah. mother of Kermit Atreides. Yes. <laughs> okay, she is, she is in this. So then who is leading the Fremen? I'm guessing Miss Piggy has to be Chani. Yes, I, I, well, yes she Or is Miss Piggy Irulan, you know? No, but you've got to have Kermit and Miss Piggy in their, in their relationship. Yeah. You can't take right, that away okay. from them. Okay. Yeah, but okay. She's more and of an Irulan. I think she's more of an Irulan. Who's the Who's the Muppet? The one with the long hair? Who's like the hippie singer? Janice. Oh yeah. Is, Is that Janice? Janice? Doctor Teeth. She could. She oh, not yeah, yeah, not yeah, Doctor yeah. Teeth. But yeah. I think she could be an excellent Charney, which means Doctor Teeth would make a good still girl. It's same because Janice could make a good Reverend Mother. But she's taken. <laughs> she is taken. Apparently, she's she's definitely taken the spice. So I guess that. Yeah, would, she has. Yeah. Could Animal be Fair Absolutely. Yeah. Absolutely. Not Glossu the Beast Raban. Well, my that was my first thought, but then You think that's too obvious? Maybe a bit obvious, but also Fade Routher gets you know, he does a lot of cool stuff and yeah. he's very animalistic in this film. Is I what, think is, was my thought. Fozzy should be the Beast Raban. <laughs> <laughs> uh, I'm fascinated to see your working out on that one. <laughs> Fozzy, actually, if we were doing June part one, Fozzy would make an incredible Duncan Idaho. Yeah. <laughs> Because That's let's it. be honest, Jason Momoa is basically fuzzy in human form. I will not explain this further. That is simply the way it is. You have spoken. <laughs> I have spoken. It's the wrong sci-fi franchise, Alex. Oh. Come on. <laughs> okay. All right. So we're okay. We're getting there. How about uh, uh, the Baron? Baron Harkonnen. Who? At uh, Sam Eagle. <gasps> Baron oh, Harkonnen. Oh, that's very strong. Yes. Is it? Who, is Swed- that Swedish? <laughs> Oh, Swedish right. oh, I was chef. thinking. Oh, I was thinking for the Baron. Um, what's his name? Who hangs around with Beaker in the science lab? Oh, what's his uh, uh, Bunsen? Bunsen, Bunsen Honeydew. Honeydew. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> Come on. He is bald. Is this mostly because he's bald? Yes. Is this where your mind yes. went? He has the right profile, the right silhouette. It's good casting. Yeah. <laughs> well, who's the giant one? Is it Sweetums? Yes. Menomina. Yeah, yeah, he could be. He, maybe he could be <laughs> the Baron because the Baron is kind of you know. He's floating about above everybody most of the time. Well, the, uh, okay. He's a large man. I, I well, think. This is a Muppet I'm not familiar with. Link Hogthrob. <laughs> oh, Link, the, the male pig. Yeah. The male pig? Yeah. The male pig. Who's, From the, big, pigs who's the biggest dude? Hogthrob. His name is what? Link Hogthrob. <laughs> okay. He's a hogthrob. He's a heartthrob. Um, who could he be? I'm going to say something that's troubling me, and I don't want to admit to looking uh, on Google as we do this to remember all the Muppet characters' names, but Google is listing... <laughs> Um, about 18 Muppets here. And just amidst, amidst this election, one of them is a photo of Chewbacca, and it says Chewbacca, played by Peter Mayhew. Accurate. As a Muppet? What? Yes. What? This is, I, I feel like this is disrespectful. It's crossing the streams. Yeah. He might have been on the Muppets. Uh, well, Luke, Mark Hamill was on the Muppets, famously. Well, it depends how old you are. <laughs> Famously. It's, it's all Disney Plus. The kids could have seen it. They could have seen yeah, it. Yeah, it's yeah. also been reinvented, hasn't it? So many times. Mm. To to not great. Can I effect. can I say that I, I have nailed Shy Halud 
uh, don't have that sentence literally. I, uh, <laughs> I, I think you bloody well like to, James Day. I'm sure. <laughs> I mean, that uh, bucket. First of all, no. Uh, but but I think I think Beaker as Shai Halud because you know the thumper, and then Beaker's head just comes blasting out of the sand. That's that's uh, like that's, a million times normal size. Yeah, yeah. I can see that. A giant actually. beaker head. Wow, that's a truly terrifying image that may haunt me. Mm, I think that's very peculiar. <laughs> that's um, not wow. um, Mr. Snuffleupagus. <laughs> well, technically, Snuffleupagus isn't a muppet because he's part of the Sesame Same Street thing. gang, and Same only thing. only Kermit really crosses over. <laughs> God, I'd forgotten about not that. Not to be controversial, but I don't enjoy the Muppets. You, you are needlessly controversial, not controversial right now. I don't. From you. I don't like them. You are a fool. What happened? And, and, what I mean, destroyed look, your capacity for joy? Jay? We've asked that a lot of times. Maybe, we? maybe you should just never meet heroes because obviously we had Kermit and Pepe the Prawn on this very podcast <laughs> once, uh, and you know they just didn't live up to expectations. Oh. What? Yeah, that was one of the greatest days in Empire history. It was pretty good, yeah. and you were you were very <laughs> happy that day. Yeah. So I, I, don't I, give me I did enjoy myself. It has to be said. Wait, did you not enjoy the Muppets as a, as a small child? Not really. No. Why did were you sat in front of the Muppets? Uh, I, I, I definitely watched them and Sesame Street. You know, I was. What I was, were you watching, James? Instead of children's <laughs> television, as a small boy. <laughs> That's a very good question. Predator. Uh, yeah, honestly, <laughs> she's not wrong. Day, I was watching day. Predator. That does not surprise me, and it explains so much. <laughs> <laughs> Over here. Mm. Uh, anyway. Okay. So uh, anyway, <laughs> just to summarize, Rebecca Ferguson's Lady Jessica will be staying. And she will be mentoring Hermit's Paul Atreides. Yeah, bring it yeah. on. As he, as he makes his way to become Dune Messiah. I'm just imagining him on the, little, on the cliff top from the trailer, like, yelling. And then the, everyone below is a Muppet. Is a Muppet, yeah. yeah. And then, Against and the then, sandy backdrop, I'm really liking that And then image. he puts a thumper in the ground and calls a gigantic beaker yeah. to his aid. Wouldn't it be great if instead of redoing one of the Dune films, mm. Dennis Villeneuve does... Dennis. 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 <laughs> All right, Dennis. Um, anyway, so that was fucked up my joke. But I was going to say, carry on. Denis Villeneuve goes on to make Dune Messiah. Yeah, but it is just Muppets. But it is just Muppets. so the third film comes along, and he so he announces tomorrow. I this film is tracking really, really well. Yeah. They're going to make me let me do the third one. I've decided to go in an all Muppet direction. <laughs> so like, so like, I'm making Dune. Da, 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 da. I'm making Dune. Da, 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 da. I'm making Dune. And I've changed my name to Dennis. This is, I mean, you know, they're a very expensive cast now. They're all A-listers. Muppets ain't cheap. Yeah. Just a quick second question, just because we have a little bit of time, I think. And there's really very little news this week. So this one came from Movable Typer, John Bentley Smith, who asks... What film has changed the most for you on a rewatch, either from positive to negative or negative to positive? I loved Only God Forgives so much, I saw it twice at the cinema, but then when I watched it at home, I thought, what is this pretentious twaddle? <laughs> I am with your home take on that one, I'll be honest. Um, but uh, yeah, have you guys had a similar revelation or anti-revelation when you, when you saw a film again? I mean, it's too many times. 
Uh, the worst ones are the ones where you see them, think they're incredible, then revisit them one, two decades later, and the scales fall from your eyes. So Kurt Wimmer's Equilibrium, which Chris and I have maintained is one of the greatest films ever made. I rewatched for a podcast over the pandemic. I was like, oh, God, it's not very good. That um, was never good. Shut up, I Alex. Thought, Come on. <laughs> <laughs> but gun it's a classic. Cutter, Alex. Gun cutter. Gun cutter. And Sean Pertwee's severed head and motorcycle helmets. I mean, it's not good, but it's, it's got some good ideas in it. One film that I thought I really loved and then watched it again and decided I didn't like was Spider-Man No Way Home. <gasps> I, well, know, I remember you didn't like that and you Why? saw it twice and still I didn't saw, like that. I, no, well, when I first, the first time at the screening, the big screening, I was like very caught up in it and I was like, wow, this is great. This is amazing. One experience. And then as time went on over the next few days, I was like, nah, uh, something's not right. Something's not sitting right with that film. And I went and saw it again and I was like, no, I really, I don't like it. I find it empty. And that's where you've landed. Yes. Wow. You need to watch it a third time, clearly. It's so <sighs> not sure that joyous. I do. It's so it all, It's just all about the other Spider-Man. It just, anyway. Yes. I'm not going to get into it. Yeah, but it didn't have anything else for me. And then the other way, which something I watched when it first came out, but I was too young to get it, I think, when it relates to something that we're talking about later, was Jennifer's Body, mm. which I went oh, yeah. and saw in the cinema with mm. a friend. And I remember thinking that, like, I don't, I don't get this. I don't know what's going on. I don't get the tone. But then I rewatched it a few weeks ago, and it's fucking great. It's so good. I love it so much. I think it's so cool. It's so funny. Um, it's so off kilter, and but I didn't really appreciate it at the time. But yeah, that. Generally... I remember how old I was, but probably not old enough. I had a slightly similar thing with Jennifer, Jennifer's body, and I was actually old enough first time. Mm. But I think it's such a weird, unexpected weird. film that when when you're when you first see it, you're yeah. just like, what the fuck is this yeah and and it you really do have to watch it again to go all right there's some in here mm. i quite okay. like it i quite liked it when i first saw it I don't, like, I don't love it i need to revisit it i don't think i've ever seen it again mm. since mm. but i quite enjoyed it Holds first up really time. well i quite liked it first time but it really kicked in for me second time yeah yeah it's all right it's You're proof positive that diablo cody can uh can write a good script when she uh when she absolutely has to so anyway no more spoilers for the review <laughs> section guys wow it's gonna be fun later um I actually had a little bit of this this week with one of the films we're going to be reviewing, which I thought played much more smoothly second time around. We'll talk, we'll get to it. But, um, I, and I have had it recently. I rewatched, um, I rewatched Django Unchained and liked it a lot more this time than I did it th- at first. First time I appreciated it, mm. but this time I kind of felt like I tuned into it a lot more. Mm. Um, and, and I had the same, um, I had the same experience when I rewatched The Hateful Eight, actually. So, so yeah, after after going around for years, going oh I didn't really like those. I'm now a bit more like oh. You're having a Tarantinaissance. I'm having a Tarantinaissance, yes. <laughs> but I but like Once Upon a Time in Hollywood is you know I think is genuinely great, and I've been in love with that for quite some time. But this was new and exciting and weird and different. Hmm. I don't think I've ever completely revised my opinion because I'm so confident the first time. <laughs> but um, but <laughs> just That's one word because I'm yeah. so seldom wrong. So let's talk about it, Chapter Two, Alex. Yeah. Fuck five star movie. What's, what's the problem? <laughs> is, is it? Is it? Is it? Is it was. It? I have to say, and I haven't gone back to it. It's possible. Pray you never do. But I do go back to it. Yes, yes, uh, listener. I did give that five star review for uh, an Empire magazine, and to which one person tweeted, "Were you on drugs?" <laughs> um, what of it? I can't it's watch any films question. without being on drugs. But um, no, um, look, I loved, I loved watching that film. I thought. Great, great fucking movie. Maybe if I watched it again, it wouldn't be so good. I don't know, but maybe it is. Maybe I was the only correct person in the world. It's, it's been known you to happen. You were penny wise, but pound foolish. Something like that. <laughs> but I, I will say, um, God. 
In terms of what you you mentioned briefly earlier, James, that some films don't hold up so well in this day and age, maybe. Mm. Obviously, mm. time and culture and enlightenment and context can change things yeah. radically. Now, I don't think this film is massively egregious in that respect, but in some respects. We did a thing last year on the Empire website when Indiana Jones and the Dial of Destiny was released, and each, well, four of us, I think, each chose an indie film to write about and say why mm. this is the best one. Mm. Um, yeah. Slightly leading way to frame them, because, <clears throat> oh, look, listen, I did Temple of Doom. Hands on deck. Raiders, obviously, is the best Indiana Jones film. Except in for Lost Crusade, which is the best of all of them. Nonsense. Uh, look, we're not relitigating <laughs> this. Search your feelings. We are not you know it to be true. This. No. We have done this. No, we're <laughs> not getting back into it. The James. thing we can all agree on is that Temple of Doom is not the best one. We can, yes. My, well, point, my point being... <laughs> Alex defended it well. My point being, all right, you're making me say it's the best one. I'm not saying it's the best one, but I'm saying it's my favourite one. It's That's the one fair. that I would watch on a desert island just for pure fun and surface level enjoyment. I saw that in the cinema as a child and absolutely loved it. Saw it a few times since. Haven't seen it in a long time, but in my memory, what fun it was. Scary, dark, yep. gory, silly, exciting, brilliant last half hour, brilliant opening, some offish stuff in the middle here and there. Oh, yeah. But anyway, uh, I put my hand up to say, I'm going to write about Temple of Doom. That's the one I love the most. I'm going to do it. Then I rewatched it and thought, oh dear. Um, now, I did really, really enjoy it again for all the same reasons, but a lot of it does not hold up very well politically and just tonally. It's a bit all over the plate. Kate Capshaw's character is, you know, not the best. And obviously there's some cultural stuff in there that uh, is, uh, like I say, a bit off. Um, I did enjoy it. It's really, really fun. But that's that's an example of something watching something mm. decades later and going oh not only was I a child when I saw it but um, that film would not have been made in, in the same way, way no. in many ways no. today I, yeah I think you're absolutely right but then e equally sometimes you do have to put things in context like yes, we, exactly. we often revisit TV shows on the Pilot TV podcast uh, and we recently did a thing on Pilot Plus on My So Called Life don't know if any of you watched My So Called Life when it aired great in the mid oh my god so if you should no, you would love yeah, it, it oh, okay. you would absolutely love it but it's one of these things where now like you watch it and it doesn't feel progressive or groundbreaking or incredible at all because it's so much later. In the mid-90s, there was nothing else like yeah. it. Now we've had euphoria, you know, it's well. And all, but also but, it paved the way for a lot of yeah. that stuff. It, yeah. like, showed that so that you stuff need could work. So you need to put it in context a mm. little bit. Like, drop that show, which is a network TV show, into 2024, and it's maybe not that exciting. But And the same is true for these films. Like, you know, when you watch them in the era that they came out, the payload is very different to looking at it with, with today's context. So, mm -hmm. Yeah. Um, mm -hmm. it's, it's, yeah, it's sometimes very painful going back to any number of especially comedies and the especially 80s. Um, <laughs> they all really need they all really need that cultural sensitivity warning that that Disney puts on things on uh, Disney Plus. Um, all right, well, I think we've we've absolutely nailed those questions. I'm not going to think about it further. Uh, time now for an interview. <laughs> no, well, anyway, you, you, you don't have to. Helen, it's okay. I'm not going to. I'm not going <laughs> to. After all this June chat, it will be nice to have a break and talk about something else entirely. Oh, wait, nope. no, never mind. We spoke to Josh Brolin. <laughs> we all remember him, of course, as his the character mighty Thanos. from The Goonies. The character yes. from The Goonies. Thanos. Who was? Thanos. Steve, Clive. I'm trying to do oh. a callback oh, no. to last yes. week, James. Yeah, I know, I know what you're doing, but I didn't know it then. And then Chris told me and it immediately went on my head. <laughs> right, so it's a really random name that you would never call someone now. It was like, was it Bran? It was something like that, wasn't it? Brand? Close. Brand? Brad. Brad. Brad? Was, no, I don't think it was Brad. Chad? No, it wasn't. Chad? He looks like a Chad. <laughs> it's, but it's one of those. No, but it's one of those names that that isn't a name. Does that make sense? Or certainly is an outside like, of America. Tag. 
Yeah, a bit like that. A bit like he had like... I, I, Helen's looking it up now, which is I actually am. very, very useful. I, I, I'm going with brand. It was literally last Gurney. week. Jim, yeah. You were right here. It was, in fact, brand. Yes, come on! Okay. <laughs> Say, Chris, I do thing. listen to things you tell me. You remembered a thing. Yeah. All right. Yes, he was, of course, as we all remember very well. Brand. Chad. Brand <laughs> in the Goonies. Um, and since then, of course, he starred in the likes of No Country for Old Men, Bigfoot, Inherent Vice, and... The MCU as the mighty Thanos. Finally. More recently, he's taken the role of the warrior poet Gurney Halleck yes. in Dune. And uh, it, for this week's uh, Dune Part 2, of course. And we sent along Chris Hewitt, presumably because you were, I don't know, James, trapped under a rock No, I something? genuinely couldn't do it. <laughs> I couldn't <laughs> yeah, make it. Like, I really wanted to, yeah. Trapped under a rock. Yeah. I'm going with that. Anyway, so here are Josh Brolin and Chris Hewitt. Enjoy. Not so fast. Ha ha ha. Yes, it's Chris. Didn't think you'd get rid of me that easily, huh? Uh, just jumping in real quick to explain a couple of things about this Josh Brolin interview before you listen to it. Maybe you should wait until you've seen Dune Part 2 before you come back and listen to it. It's entirely up to you. But this took place a couple of days after he turned 56. And in Paris, he was surprised on stage at the Dune Part 2 French premiere uh, by a giant cake um, given to him by Denis Villeneuve and the entire cast. So we talk about that. And the book we talk about is Dune Exposures, a book that he has written to accompany photographs taken by the film's DP, the brilliantly talented Greg Fraser. Okay, I think that's pretty much it. And obviously we talk about Kearney Halleck and, and Dune Part 2 and, and because it's me, Thanos. Uh, and no, I didn't ask him what the... Roger Deakins' pictures are. I'm kicking myself, quite frankly. Anyway, here's Josh Brolin. Do please enjoy. Come and see us on tour. Josh Brolin, welcome to the Opera Podcast. How are Thank you? you. Uh, happy birthday for the other day. Thanks. Uh, you got a cake. I did. On stage. I did. That was, it's funny. It's like, you, you don't, when you get surprised at times, it's not nice. And then there's other times where it is nice. That was one of those times where it really was nice. I didn't expect it. Uh-huh. They came out on stage, Denis kind of like, let's uh, say happy birthday to Josh, not prompting anybody to sing. Mm -hmm. And then 2,500 people uh, in, in France sang in French. It was very cool. <laughs> it was. It was. I was and, and then we went out to dinner afterwards and Denis came and there were some great people that I love and it was a great birthday. Yeah, but two and a half thousand people singing French. That's that not, was cool. That's not bad. No, that was not bad. All in the same key, or did they take a while? No, it was great, actually. <laughs> the French have good voices. Yeah, because no. you've got a, obviously a musical bent as well. I mean, not to give too much away, but Gurney's... I don't know how a musical bent. Way with an instrument. I have. You know who's a great singer? is my mm -hmm. daughter. My daughter's a great singer. She has a band called Attaboy, and yeah. she's working on her fifth album right now, and she's a great singer. I am, am not. It didn't come from me. I have a, a growly, you know, it was from years of smoking. <laughs> That's why I was asked to do this role. But I did like writing the song. I liked writing. Denis wanted me to, to write the lyrics and work with Hans, which I think is hilarious. Why he wanted me to do that, I think, was a pressure that I didn't need at that time. But uh, it was really fun to go back and forth with Hans and figure out this song. Talk me through the process. I mean, honestly, Hans was vacationing at the time, so I would send him lyrics and then he would send me pictures of like an iceberg, you know. So <laughs> it was frustrating in the beginning. And then finally, when he got back on board, he started sending me pieces of music and we were trying to figure out, I was trying to figure out tonally what to do. And then when you're on the set, which nobody knows, you're playing this 
fictional uh, instrument that sounds like, I don't know, a baby crying or something. Mm -hmm. Everything's out of tune and you're trying to remember the tune that you've created when you're not necessarily musically inclined. It's uh, the whole process is so fucked up, but you get through it. (laughs) And then what he did musically after I sang the song was genius. I think it's, I think the music is the best part of that moment. It's lovely. Yeah. Yeah. It's really lovely. Uh, And I know that uh, it was important to uh, Denis to get the balisette into Dune part two. Was he was a- so ashamed. He was so guilty when because he gave me a song that I had to learn the night before that I sang in front of in the first one, Momoa and about 30 other guys. And and it was a it was a tonally, it was a better song for us as an isolated moment, but yeah. it didn't work within the movie. And he felt so bad about cutting it out, which he didn't need to because you cut shit out and yeah. I'm, I'm, I'm I can deal. Um <laughs> And then, and then he kept talking about the song and then wanted me to write the song. And, and I liked the introduction. It didn't need to be any more than it was. You know, we, he had designed an introduction that didn't really work when we were on set. So we were redesigning it on set. And, I, and I, yeah, I like how he comes back. It's fun. I, I love that you say there that you, you can deal. You can deal with being cut out or having, or having a, a scene or a sequence cut out. Did it take a while for to, be, to, to grow that philosophy and, and to... I think when you trust a director, it's different. Yeah. Do you know what I mean? When you trust the, like, I think the two best things that ever happened with the Coens was I I learned how not to look for a compliment. Do you know what I mean? (laughs) And uh, and I trusted their uh, casting and editing process. Yeah. So say I would do a scene, which is very much the same with Denis, even though we have a more adolescent relationship. (laughs) <laughs> um, there's a, you know, the Coens, if I would finish a scene and I would look to them for approval. And then I think the best version of a compliment I ever got was this. You know, you go, <laughs> like, <laughs> if you're not used to it, man, you fucking spiral. <laughs> you just go, I'm going to be fired. And obviously they don't like what I'm doing. And then you kind of come to learn that they're not there to give you compliments. They're, you're, you're, that, then it becomes a true collaboration. Like they hired you for a reason. Trust that reason. You're giving them what they need. And if they're not getting what they need, they'll tell you. But how do you get to that point? I mean, you know, so that happens day you one. You have to work with people who are unwilling to compliment you, which a lot <laughs> of directors aren't. And now when directors do, I don't trust it. <laughs> right. You know what I mean? Once in a while, Denis would come up and he'll be like, I really like what you did. That was great. And I believe him. Um, but if he's doing it as a presentation, no. And he doesn't. But I don't trust it very much now. We're just there to do our thing. <laughs> it's a much more familial, familial experience than what I think all of us kind of perceive as being the cinematic experience. Which but is- in terms of giving a performance, you know, obviously you have your, the people you want to please. But you surely want to please yourself. Yeah, I don't. There, there's very few people that I feel a need to please. I think. Yeah. One, I think now, especially, and, and it's not. It's not like a gruff statement. It's meant. It's meant to like we're, we're in this together. We're trying to create a good story that somehow mirrors how people feel or what they're denying in their lives, and this gives them an opportunity to be able to look at it without being directly involved. Mm-hmm. I think that's best case scenario. You know what I mean? And uh, so when I'm doing it, I'm, it's, not, it's not about me. 
you know, and that's mm. an, a nice thing. But again, there must have been a point in your period in your career where it was about you. I or think did, I had a you... crazy fear, yeah. and I think it was based on that. I didn't realize that for a long time, but I used to shake a lot when I would be on camera. Wow. You know, or I'd forget my lines, or I'd like my voice would you know shake or something like that. Especially early on, especially early on. Not really Goonies because I was too. <laughs> I knew nothing, <laughs> so it was all just kind of fascinating to me. And then once it became a, like a career choice, I think, yeah, I was attacked by fear for a very, very long time. And what got you past it? If I were to give the credit to anybody, mm -hmm. I would say um, when the work is good, that's something else. So it made me think, wow, if I do that and I feel off and I feel like I'm not, there's not a certain standard that I have to live up to, I think that that tweaks me. And then I started, like, no matter how much money was coming my way, I, I, I would always resort to, I want to work with somebody who's super good yeah, and who I respect a lot, yeah, who doesn't give compliments. That'll do it. <laughs> and that's that'll, probably where it came from. That'll do I it. I still feel the fear, though, once in a while. Right. I mean, yeah, it just hit me. There was a scene with Timothy in a cave that I suddenly was, like, racked with nervousness, and I don't know where it came from. And I like that scene. Yeah, it's a good scene. So it doesn't matter if I'm nervous or not. It, it turned out to be fine. That's what I mean. You, like, you look at a scene and you think, oh, my God, I, I messed that up. And, 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 and then you look at the scene and you're like, it's, not, it's good. <laughs> I serviced the scene. Fine. <laughs> and he's probably just as nervous as you are. I don't, you know, <laughs> who knows? Who knows? <laughs> Timothy has great confidence, so I don't know. You talked there about uh, your relationship with, with Denis. This is, you know, you've worked together a number of times now. Mm. Uh, when did you first click? When did you develop that relationship? Is it ha halfway through Sicario? Is it? No, it was immediately with him. Okay. It was immediately because I had turned down Sicario twice and he came to see me. It was because I knew Emily. I knew Benicio. I didn't know Emily closely, but I knew Benicio. I'd already worked with Benicio a lot and I'd worked with Roger Deakins. Oh. And it was, it was a hybrid of, of Denis telling me that it was going to be, not that I needed a bigger role, but it was like a non-role almost. And I was like, and, and Denis was like, we're going to make the role. We want to expand the role. I was like, dude, every director says that. Everyone. <laughs> they all lie. But he didn't lie. And not only was it a more substantial role, he'd come to my trailer often and you'd hear this knocking on my trailer and I'd be like, go away. And he was like, I just want to talk to you about this one thing, you know, and then I'd open the door and we re rewrite this whole thing. We wrote a lot of that, like on, 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 during the time, at that time, like there was a scene at the end with Emily that we wrote like 15 minutes before that. And people go, God, I love that scene. Wow. And you look off and it's so intense because you're making the decision. I was like, no, I looked off because I was trying to remember the line. <laughs> just written. <laughs> I don't know how much of what I said is true, but some of it. And print the legend, man. Print the legend. <laughs> so then when he calls you for June. Yeah. Does he say, I'm going to expand the role? <laughs> no, no, no. I did call him in Dune, too. I was like, wow, he comes in late, man. He goes, yes, very late. And that was it. That was the only. Um, but he, uh, yeah, I, I immediately said yes. It wasn't even a thought. Yeah. Yeah. I went in to pitch an idea at Legendary. And Mary Parent, I think, said to Denis, why isn't Josh playing Gurney? And he was like, because I didn't think he'd do it. And I don't know why, because it's not. It's inaccurate. I love this role. 
I love this role and would love to continue this role. People bring up franchises and all that stuff. And I never think of things in terms of that. You know, it's like, what's the role and how? I love this role. What is it about Gurney that you click with? Especially between the first one and the second one, you have this guy who's like pulling this kid up into maturity. And then the second one, he's, he's kind of, he has an engine behind him. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? In what's happened and and then what he's come to terms with in himself and how willing he is in order to confront himself and all that. And Bert Gurney becomes a witness, you know, of sorts. He becomes a support and a witness instead of somebody trying to grow him into what he is. Mm. He far surpasses anything that is what I said earlier was the feralness of, uh, mm. you know, is that a word? Ferality. The feral aspects of Gurney. The English language is a malleable beast. It is a malleable beast. Very well put. So you said you, you want to continue this role. I mean, not, you know, not to give too much away, but there are, are indications that... I would say when you do <laughs> press for things, it can, it can... It can be a dangerous thing. It can be a dangerous thing. And the truth of the matter is, is I love this movie so much. I love this experience so much. You know, when we're out in the middle of the desert and it's just you and you're surrounded by 100 kilometers of nothing but sand, you either love the people that you're with or learn to love them, or, you know, there's, <laughs> there's a lot of strife. <laughs> and there was not a lot of strife. There was a real, there was a, a family. We became a family. That's, you know, that's, that's Denis. I mean, he demands that. He did that with Sicario. My experience in Dune 1, my experience in Dune 2 was even better, and bringing Florence and Austin into the mix, and Christopher, who I had known for a little while. Um, Charlotte Rampling, I had a great conversation with her. I mean, what a, an amazing human being, man, who's seen and done everything, everything. Uh, did, you, uh, did you strike up that conversation or did you? I did. I walked yeah. into her trailer because you get afraid sometimes, you yeah. know. It sounds, like er- it sounds arrogant and it's not meant to, but like with younger actors looking at me in a certain way. Yeah, of course. And I don't, I don't, I don't, I don't expect that. Do you know what I mean? Because yeah, yeah, I yeah. still feel like a beginner, truth, truthfully. But then I look at Charlotte or I look at Christopher and maybe I don't know what to say to them. So I see Christopher in the morning. I'm like, hey, man. <laughs> and then just walk past them, whereas I would normally be really conversational. And then Christopher feels out it. <laughs> he, feel, he doesn't understand. Why doesn't Josh want to talk to me? And I feel the same way with the younger generation. Do you know what I mean? So with Charlotte, I felt myself doing that and I went against it and I knocked on her trailer door and I just walked in her trailer and we had a great conversation. You mentioned working with Roger Deakins yeah. and uh, Greg Fraser, of course, mm. on these movies. And you've, you've authored this book with, with Greg. I had the, the good fortune to flick through it just before coming in here. It looks absolutely amazing. Thanks, man. Uh, how important is it striking up a relationship as an actor with a DP? I mean, I, I've just been very lucky in that way. I've just been out of just interest, like a deep interest in what everybody does technically. And I've always had that interest. And then directing now, I, I, now I see... What seemed like kind of a random interest, now I see how it funnels into directing mm-hmm. and choices that I've made. Um, you know, Deacons just came out with his book, too, and I have yeah. two prints of Deacons that he gave me pretty early on that I kind of demanded, <laughs> you know, because I knew he was a photographer before, and he didn't show anybody his photographs. And uh, James, his wife, gave me, uh, gave me two photographs that, that I, 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 I hold in high esteem, you know, high regard. And, uh, and then with Greg, 
the fact that he was even able to take pictures during this movie is incredible because it was a, a, a lot of weight on his shoulders. Yeah. And I think it was prompted by Denis, like, would you snap a picture here and there, having seen his pictures? And then Greg knew my writing a little bit, and Tanya Lapointe knew my writing and said, why don't you guys do a thing together? So we did a, an initial book that I think was really good, but it was just too high end. It was too expensive. It was too... And then this book kind of landed in... in th there's a confidence in it, but there's also a humility in it. Whereas our other book was more like, like our fuck you book. <laughs> you know what I mean? It was like our punk yeah. rock book. It's our Sid Vicious book. Um, yeah. So I, re I, 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 I like this book. I think the writing's better. I think the photography is unbelievable. Yeah. And it's a great uh, insight into what really goes on into, uh, in, in, in a behind the scenes scenario. And my obsession with other actors. I, like, when I love an actor, I, it, it, I, I can't help but express it. Uh, well, indeed, there's been a lot made over the last few days of mm. the poems that you wrote for your co-stars. And, and I, I've been following you on Instagram for a long, long time. Mm. It's seeing that side of you. No. You can definitely see it being funneled into the book as well. That's cool. That creative side of you. The That's nice. Sentimental side? I, I'm a, a very word? sentimental guy. I don't act like it, but I, yeah, when I'm alone. <laughs> Cradling your Roger Deacon's exactly, photographs. Exactly. <laughs> that's, exact, that's good. My God. Um, Greg here and Roger here. It's like, my guys. These are not going to be hung on a wall. Yeah. This, this is just for hugging. This no, is I, just for hugging. Yeah, I like that. That's good. Um, I just got embarrassed for the first time. Oh, man. On this, on this trip. <laughs> it's good, man. It's true. That's yeah, well, it's good yeah. to lean into embarrassment. That's yeah, what I, mean. I do. Yeah, I we're, do. We're, we're British. I do. Yeah, I, know. <laughs> I get it all the time. Are oh, you do? <laughs> okay, good, good, good. I get it all the time. Yeah. Um, just very, very quickly, you were yep. talking there about you know franchises, not thinking of franchises as franchises and and roles and how they expand. And mm -hmm. did you have the same conversations with Kevin Feige, the Russos, etc., about how Thanos would go? You know, pre Infinity War, because that's a, that's a big commitment. On a, on a promise, essentially, that this is Again, I don't, and maybe it's just being around for a while. Had it yeah. happened earlier, I think, I mean, I talk to younger actors that do Marvel movies and are going to do Marvel movies and call me and ask me questions. And I'm like the worst person to call <laughs> because I, I'm like, don't think of it like that. You know, you can't, it's not your job to think of it like that. That's a business, you know, businessman's job. Think about franchise how far we can take it how big it can be and mm -hmm. all this kind of stuff or even a director's job a little bit a hybrid of going back and forth between the personal and the business of it but uh you know i i love feige i love you know we have a great relationship Luis desposito who i've known mm. since he was an ad um he was an ad on hollow man and now he's you know helps run marvel so i've seen people like their yeah, yeah, trajectories yeah. you know and and when we did that, the kind of greatest thing about that was uh, the Russos. You know, I'm especially close with Joe. And, uh, you know, I went in there with some kind of Richard Burton-esque. I don't know what I was doing, but it was a choice. And then you, sometimes you make the wrong, wrong choice or you're playing. And, and, and the Russos were like, yeah, he's more um, – what word did they use? He was, he was more – more human than what you're doing. I thought it was doing it kind of presentationally. There's a real change in, from Thanos in Guardians 2. To, yeah. 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 And I think we started getting more like uh, idiosyncratic with it. 
and and it and and it it got really fun yeah. like that. So even though you're, it's very different than Dune because you're having to utilize your imagination a lot more. You're doing it. You're doing sometimes practically, but there's a lot of green screen. And then other times you're doing it by yourself. You're doing the same scene with somebody reading lines from way over there in front of 50 cameras in a, in a warehouse, 50 computers. But I didn't mind that. It was fun. It was like, I felt like I was, I was doing black box theater in you know, Lower East Side of New York. And you don't have money to get an actual gun. So you're using a, like, a piece of wood. <laughs> you, know, you have to use your imagination. And I, I appreciated that challenge very much. But yeah, I, I, think the, I think Brando in Apocalypse Now, which was the first movie that really profoundly affected me, had a, a big impact on playing Thanos. Oh, man. No. You know I mean? That I want to dig into, but sadly, we're out of time. No, it's all good. Get out of here. <laughs> <laughs> well, I'm not going to give you a compliment, Josh, because I know you're, you're allergic. No, but I am. It's allergic been a pleasure. Thanks, Thanks man. man. Thank you. Yeah, appreciate it. Okay, time now for some news. And uh, I'll be honest, we're recording this on Wednesday because of all the shenanigans with the live pod. Um, and, and there hasn't been a lot. Shall we catch up on award season first? Let's get the boring stuff out of the way first, shall we? Yeah, let's Any, do it. Anybody? Especially, let's let's assume for the sake of argument and drama and comedy that I, I don't know, haven't read anything about any of the award stuff this week. So tell me, Helen, who's won drama what, where? Drama and comedy. Yeah. <laughs> Good Lord. I mean, but of course, really of course I know this stuff because I'm inc- Obviously incredibly... You know Obviously, you know But let's assume that I know nothing. Yes. Okay. Well, there were several award ceremonies last weekend. The the stylists of Hollywood must have been run off their feet because we had the SAG Mm -hmm. Awards, the PGAs, and the Independent Spirit Awards, right? So the SAG are, of course, the acting union. Yes. Uh, They are the biggest single voting bloc, I believe, at the Oscars. So they tend to be the best possible guide to who's going to win the Oscar categories. Mm, And they were all exactly as expected. (laughs) So we've got Killian Murphy for Oppenheimer, Robert Downey Jr. for Oppenheimer, Lily Gladstone for Killers of the Flower Moon, and Dave Joy Randolph for The Holdovers. Mm. Those are your current frontrunners in the relevant categories for the Oscars. Mm. Do you think Lily Gladstone was a frontrunner before this? Yes. I think you're probably right, although I think Emma Stone is absolutely magnificent. She's incredible. And if she, she won for it, I don't um, think I could argue with that at all. No. Even though a part of me thinks I'm probably still watching Killers of the Flower Moon somewhere, uh, I thought Lily Gladstone was great, so... Yeah, look, both great performances, but I, I, I'm inclined to agree with you, um, Alex, that like Emma Stone was just insanely yes, great in that film. she does it all. She does it yeah, all. I mean, her but, journey, magical you know, performance. But there is that element of, you know, who needs the Oscar, who deserves the Oscar, and, and you know, Emma Stone already has one for a film that didn't deserve it. So it's fine, <laughs> yeah. you know? It's fine. Here we go it again. It all balance out, balances out in the end. <laughs> it all does. Maybe we'll have a repeat of... Uh, before and when the best picture mess up happened (laughs) because someone got Emma Stone's name. Yeah, so maybe best picture will be Emma Stone instead of best actress. There you go. (laughs) Um, Yeah, so that's that's kind of interesting. The PGA Awards, the Producers Guild, again, the best single guide for who's going to win win best picture. That went to Oppenheimer. Oppenheimer. What a shock and a surprise. Yeah, I, this is this is not as close a call as I thought it might be this year, really at all. No, so. the last couple of months have just this Oppenheimer's everything, isn't it? Yeah, it yeah. really has been. I don't know. Like, obviously, as a as a horrific cynic, I do tend to feel a little bit that sometimes there's a bit of oh yeah, Oppenheimer. I've heard of that, brilliant. 
Tick the box. Yeah. yeah. I'm sure, I'm sure that happens. Be. But also, I mean, it's also a very good film, but I'm sure there is a bit of that. Yeah. And also people want to, I think sometimes people just want to vote for the winner. And I think there's an element of kind of groupthink that comes into all of these things. Well, so rather than picking the one they think should win, they're picking the one they think will win. Yes. yes. Yeah. I think it just becomes more sensical. Is that the right word? In people's minds, just it makes it's obvious to vote for things. And so they just do. It's like, well, you can't not vote for it. Especially at yeah. this point in the campaign. Exactly. Well. And I think you also get these narratives that develop through Oscar yeah. season. Like I'm talking about the Lily Gladstone narrative. And I don't mean that in any way disrespectfully of her personally. But I also do think that that narrative is important and I think it it is a story and it it moves people. Um, And I think, you know, similarly, the Oppenheimer thing, I think there's an element of he's a really good director. You know, we obviously obviously didn't give him any awards for his silly science fiction films Mm -hmm. or his silly superhero films. But this we can can acknowledge, we can award, we we understand this. Good old biopic. Exactly. You know, and, 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 oh, but it's fancy enough that it isn't just a, boring biopic you know yeah. so it's yeah. it's kind of ticking all the boxes for them and again I don't mean that cynically I don't think that's mm-hmm. why he made it but I do think that's again part of the narrative for for uh, for Christopher Nolan this year so anyway what other news is there I, I have written down here Bob the Builder bidding war and that's all we need to say <laughs> I don't I don't understand the world anymore please explain Helen, this to me can we fix it Si se puede. Yes, we can. <laughs> Why am I saying it in Spanish, James? Uh, because it's going to be an art house Spanish interpretation of Bob the Builder set in Seville, uh, and they're fixing, uh, and then they go to Barcelona to to fix the Sagrada Familia, yeah, and that's it. why they've hired Bob. So you just had to move Spanish City because you couldn't think of a building in Seville, That's literally what just happened. <laughs> okay, yes. uh, just, just checking. All right. Um, Sophie, can you maybe enlighten me a bit more accurately, please? please? I think you said it in Spanish because this has got Jennifer Lopez and Anthony Ramos involved. Yes. Is that why you've done that? It is, but they're also talking about setting it in... Barcelona. No, James. No. Puerto Rico. Puerto Rico. Puerto Rico. Right. Yes. Yeah. I don't yeah. know any buildings there either. And I think this is because so "Si se puede" is a sort of Latin American slogan. A sort of, I mean, it's in Barbie for God's sake. So you know, it's a major political mm, okay. message. A yeah, a bit of a motto, and um, and it's also, of course, built Bob the Builder's catchphrase. So I think they're trying to kind of marry the two here a little bit in an unusual fashion. Um, there could be more but, depth yeah. to this than, than we might expect. I, I did not expect any depth <laughs> no. at all to this. So this Fair. is uh, exciting and terrifying. This is animated. It's not like a Barbie live action oh, thing. It? Yeah, it's animated, but it is Mattel, obviously. And apparently Netflix, Amazon, DreamWorks um, and others are involved in this bidding war. Bidding, he- heating up. A bidding war for Bob the Builder. There we go. I mean... Bid for a film that they will then... Shelf or erase. Look, I guess it well, is a good idea when getting any major building work done to get lots of quotes, right? True. <laughs> Very true. Perhaps this is the right way to do it. But that's a thing that's happening in the world right now. Mm-hmm. As is, and again, I have something written down here, I don't understand, Ahmed Best Star Wars question mark? What? Exclamation Mr. Mark? Godfrey. <laughs> Alex, yes. tell me more. <laughs> he put up something on social media the other day. I don't know if their photo was related exactly to what he's doing now, but it was a picture of himself looking at the camera in a mocap suit, I think. Um, and he said, just when I thought I was out, they pulled me back in, which... He's going to be in The Godfather Part 3? <laughs> yes, the, all Muppet. <laughs> um, so that would suggest he is doing a new Star Wars thing. Now, it could be a Jar Jar thing. It could be an extension of whatever the hell that Jedi character he played was, sure. or whatever that hell that Mandalorian. show was. Was it Ahsoka? It was Mando, I think. Okay. Yeah. Um, 
So either way, I think we all think it's very nice for Ahmed Best to be back in do, doing Star Wars work. You know, a lot of people love him. Uh, it was great to see him in Mando. Kelleran Beck, I think you'll right, find is the you. name of his character. I also think, um, I mean, Chris, Chris here wrote a piece in our Star Wars prequels cover issue um, championing Jar Jar as a character and saying that he was much maligned. And certainly there is, you know, there's something to be said to that mm. to some degree. But certainly I think there is more mileage in, there is more mileage in Jar Jar in some way. I mean, I don't see why you couldn't do a, a Jar Jar kids show on Disney+. Plus. I don't mm-hmm. know why you can do that. It doesn't have to be in a Star Wars film. It doesn't have to ruin your beloved franchise. There's a lot of, you know, it's a good character, I think, if used in the right way, in the right context. Whether that is what is happening or not, I have no idea. Wow. But who would have thought it, right? Bring it on. Back in he's good. He's a good, you know, he's a He seems like a really performer. decent man, yeah. Yeah. You said there might be other Star Wars news, Sophie, coming off the back of that. Yes. Empire-related Star Wars Ooh, news. Ooh, the best kind. Um, yeah. The <laughs> so, Ahmed best kind. Yes, indeed. Um, so as you hear this on Friday, yesterday, no. Yes. Two days ago, right. which is today on Wednesday for Hang us. On. We've gone full tenet. <laughs> um, we have released our first Empire Focus digital only cover. Which, so what is this? So this is um, a new thing we're doing. We launched a spotlight version with Catherine Newton last week, which uh, went down a storm. And this week we've put Hayden Christensen on our digital cover. Um, it's called Empire Focus and it's where we highlight um, our big shoots and profiles and interviews from the mag. So... I'm sure any readers will have seen that we interviewed Hayden and we put out a couple of shots from his um, story and a couple of quotes, but we put the whole thing online, including unseen bits of quotes um, like that, that, did, that did make into the mag, basically. Brand new portraits, extra bonus stuff, all that good stuff. So head to our socials and Empire Online. Amazing. To see that. And it's just really cool images, guys. You're going to love them. It's a great interview. I mean, I mean, people hopefully have already read it in the magazine. It's yeah. a very revealing, candid, uh, introspective, I think, interview that Amon did with him. I think he really he really gets candid about the experience he had on, on those films. And... Um, the extra stuff that we've published is really interesting and it is a beautiful shoot. It yeah, is an incredible shoot we did with him. And, uh, By Norman Wong, shot yes. in Toronto. Um, yeah. Incredible stuff, so yeah. Nice for people to see more Go to our it. website and our socials awesome. and have a look. And of course, the prequels issue is still on sale in it all is. good and evil news yes, agents. So if you don't have it already, get after it. Mm-hmm. All right, what other news is out there? Tom Cruise has been cast in Alejandro Inaritu's new film. Ooh. We don't know any more than that, but okay. that is exciting. Because Tom Cruise Cruise has just been doing stunts for years and years and years. And, you know, I certainly love him in Magnolia. Mm. I think we all love him in Collateral. You know, it's we've I think a lot of us have been hankering for him to do more meaty character led dramas for a long time. Not that Mission doesn't include that. You know, I think he's brilliant. Mm. I think Ethan Hunt is a great character. But I'd love to see him working with a director like that on whatever the hell that film turns out to be. There was, a, there was an interesting theory that I read a few years ago, uh, and I've forgotten where, I think it was on BuzzFeed, actually, in one of their long-form pieces, uh, talking about the fact that basically after the couch incident, mm-hmm. which itself was a mis-editing of reality, if you actually watched the whole clip, it wasn't as crazy as the oh, thing right. you think happened. Okay. This is news, I didn't know that. Yeah, either. no, it really isn't. It was, it was sort of, you know, um, edited so it looked like he was bouncing up and down maniacally. He actually did, he did clamber up on the couch, but that's basically all that happened. Anyway, uh, mm. it, was, it was a massive thing at the time back in the early 2000s. And since then, he really retreated from all of those kind of daring mm. projects that he did. And if you look at his mm. next few years, they were relatively safe 
film, by you know, by Tom Cruise standards, not safe in the physical sense, <laughs> but safe in the sense of you know, establish franchises, franchises yeah. genre filmmaking, yeah. that kind of thing, and not these kind of magnolia style, collateral style yeah, roles that he's really done shot. before. So, um, so yeah, there was a sense of kind of him retreating, I, I guess, maybe, and, and trying to protect his star power, maybe his persona. I don't mm. know. But um, but this may be a sign that he has recovered to a degree. Well, look, confident we, enough to... Because he's, you know, he's just like the man who's saving cinema at the minute. Is, I don't know. He genuinely so, is. But he also, can like, do no wrong, I think, in people's eyes right yeah. now. Anyway. I, I honestly think... I think he's a hugely underrated actor. I think oh, he's yeah. a hugely underrated yeah. person. If you, yeah. if you meet people who actually know him and work with him, they all can't shut up about how nice a guy he is. Um, and, and also, like, I just want to see whatever else he does. I think he's good. So, yeah. yeah. And you know, you know, he's still got potentially, you know, two or three decades of work ahead of him, and I'd love to see him doing really, really cool stuff. At the rate he's aging, he'll he'll outlive all of us. I think. Yeah, I'm <laughs> sure he will. <laughs> so yeah, this is exciting stuff. All right, we don't know anything more about the film or the role yet, do we? Absolutely nothing, but it's juicy. Mm. It's immediately juicy. Excellent. Shall we talk about I'm Just Ken? Always. What would you like to say about it? Well, Ryan Gosling is apparently. I, mean, I don't think it's been a hundred percent officially confirmed. But the rumour on the street is that Ryan Gosling will be performing I'm Just Ken live at the Oscars. And if the Oscars needed some viewing figures, they're going to get some viewing figures. <laughs> but surely that's just as it should be. Yes, but I think... Because it's nominated, you know, right? For... Yeah. Yeah, but they don't always do it like no. that. And, it, it, you know, it was, it was always up to him, I think, if he was mm. going to do it or not. And, you know, especially in light of some of those Oscar nominations or lack of Oscar nominations for some of the people on that film, I, I wondered if Ryan was going to proactively do something that might potentially steal thunder from other people. Mm. You know what I mean? Mm. But um, apparently he's doing it, and I think, I'm sure everyone involved in that film really wants that to happen. I would imagine, Aww. yeah. I, I think everyone on planet Earth really wants that to happen, if and I'm yes. honest. Be great. So. And it's not winning anything. No. Well, it won't, because it's going to be beaten by Billie Eilish with what was I made for? Yeah, yeah. Like, yeah, honestly, probably. it is. But, uh, but you know, with the best will in the world, it sh- I, I would vote for it because I think it's freaking hilarious. If, of course, theatre camps, um, camps not home, were not an option, which mm. isn't. A shame. That is Because the Oscars are full. shame. But that's, that's another conversation. Anyway, <laughs> yes, we've had that already. The best song category is the worst. <laughs> All right, I think that's probably enough news. Anything else? Am I missing anything? Yeah, only yeah. little bits. That'll do. That'll I'm do. saving all of my news until the live show in Birmingham. Good Lord. Well, also, the, we, let's hope some more happens yeah, in the next two that's days. that's what I'm hoping Otherwise, too. it's going to be extremely be repetitive. <laughs> <laughs> okay. I'm going to have to broker some Hollywood deals for you, James. Yeah, if, if you, you could. could that'd be really helpful. Thanks very much. Uh, okay, let's have another interview in the meantime. And next up is someone that our beloved leader, Chris Hewitt, has wanted to speak to for literally ages. Uh, naturally, I'm talking about Adam Sandler. Really? Adam Sandler. Okay, who be Halloween himself? Who, when he isn't making wildly popular comedy films for Netflix, has a sideline in heartbreaking dramatic performances. Uh, in films like Punch Drunk Love, which is magnificent if you haven't seen it, um, Uncut Gems, the most stressful film in the history of film. Yeah, a masterpiece. Um, and mm. a masterpiece. And this week's Space sorry, Spaceman, um, <laughs> where he stars alongside a giant alien space spider that wants to give him relationship advice, voiced by Paul Dano. That, wait, no, that is really what happens. I'm not even kidding. Um, so Chris booked them both on Zoom recently um, and had a grand old time. Now, I do want to say you may hear some noise in the background due to some sudden drilling that broke out near Chris's home while this was happening. Uh, so if you do hear that, apologies, but hopefully it won't be too much of a distraction. 
Here is Chris talking to Adam Sandler, actual Adam Sandler, finally, his dream come true, and Paul Dano, who's also a very nice man. <laughs> Enjoy. Ha ha ha, not so fast, yet again. It's Chris jumping in to explain one very, very quick thing ahead of this Adam Sandler and Paul Dano interview. Helen's already told you about the sound problems, which only affect me slightly in the background. Uh, but the Johan we talk about is Johan Rank, who is the director of this movie. Right, that's it. I'll, I'll jump in halfway through. You'll understand why. See you in a few minutes. Come see us on tour. Enjoy. Hey, guys, how's it going? Hey, hey, Chris. Oh, Empire, we got well, we got to show step up. It up. Yeah, yeah. Step it up. Yeah, step it up. What's up? <laughs> These guys are tough. These guys are tough. Uh, Chris, everything's good in this room. They, it, there's a bit of a. Uh, it's hot. So between interviews, a fan goes on, and then when the interview starts, a fan is off. So there's a just a. A little sadness. Surely you can pay people to come in and and wave things at you rather than just using a fan. They, they said they were hearing it, so they had to stop. <laughs> one guy doing that. Uh, well, welcome both to the Emperor Podcast. Uh, how is Berlin treating you? First of all, are you stuck in a hotel Fantastic. room? We had a hell of a meal last night. We did. It's been nice to, to Paul be back ordered. together. We were oh, together yeah, for the table. Paul did a quiet talk to the waiter. We didn't know what they were talking about. Next thing I know. Some red, white wine came out, some massive amount of uh, shrimp. There were some beautiful orders of tartare. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Then he yeah. hit us hard with some steaks and some fish. Yeah. Everyone was eating, having a good time, complimenting Paul. The waiter kept saying, you know, I had something to do with it. We ignored him. We were like, Paulie boy. <laughs> the chefs came out. They said, what do you think? We said, Paul nailed it. The chefs were... No dessert. Nobody no dessert. No one had dessert. We too, too much food. Too full. Too much. Yeah. Oh, wow. If you're skipping yeah. dessert, that's a good meal, I would say. <laughs> that's yeah. right. Yeah. Chris, yeah. I never thought of that. There you go. Absolutely. So, Paul, was this all you're doing then? Are you are you au fait with the kind of slipping the the maitre d the the twenty the twenty pound note or the twenty dollar note or euro did note? Did you give him anything? No, I gave him. A, I gave him Netflix's one eight hundred number. Yeah, he's. He, I said, he got call, free call Netflix. Speak to, <laughs> yeah, somebody uh, yeah. got a free month. Um. <laughs> so how how much did you guys work together on this? Were you in the same room at all during shooting? We did. We did some Zoom rehearsals. Mm -hmm. We we read through the script a, a bunch. We we felt each other out. I felt what what. Paul was bringing to Hanush, mm -hmm. and, um, but, and, and, and Paul came by the set a few times and, and helped me out. Uh, and then uh, there were times when um, I was just uh, alone, and I was, um, and Johan, the director, he was Hanush, and then there was another time with this, this woman who was uh, able to crawl into spaces and, and uh, she had a very flexible uh, body and, uh, and and read the lines with me also, but never as good as Paul. Never did it as good. Everyone tried to be as good as Paul. No one could do it. Never, nobody could pull out what I wanted to feel as much as you. I owe you. Yeah. I, I, should, I should say that one of the, the several reasons I wanted to do that was, was just to spend a little time, yeah. you know, with, with Adam. Yeah. Same here, but really. Thank yeah. you. Paul, you were you were always on board. You were always you were always connected. I mean, th th this is how do you describe Hanush without seeming like a crazy person? But he is an alien spider from the beginning of time who is also yeah. the universe's greatest marriage counselor. 
That's, That's well good, put. Good really good Enough job. Said. Enough uh, said. Enough <laughs> said. Maybe you don't need to talk about it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Uh, the Empire Podcast I, I, brings it. That's right. Uh, yeah. No, I, I, I remember. Uh, I remember being asked, you know, is is Hanush real? Um, right. I think even Johan saying, "What do you think?" And I said, "Of course, I think he's real." Yes. And I really um, enjoyed real. the idea that boy, this guy has traveled around for thousands and thousands of years throughout right. all the different galaxies. The civilization's been lost. He's heading back to the beginning. And mm-hmm. and 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 I I agree, marriage counselor. I felt like sort of a, a doula, you, you, you know, like a like a death doula almost because it right. seemed like heading back to the beginning. You might be heading back towards the beginning, um, uh, w- w- which could also be death in a way so yeah. there was certainly a, a spirit guide element to this um that i really enjoyed yeah yep the beginning would be fantastic to get back to right now don't you think i don't know i'd be terrified it would be a Wouldn't nice you? reset for you chris <laughs> <laughs> you need this you need the beginning but the beginning of all things adam with the beginning of my life because i'd be a drilling mess which isn't too different from now i guess let's get back to mama's belly we'll go from there <laughs> <laughs> Adam, I, I want to ask you about about you as well. How you got involved with this? Because you met Johan. Yes, and- I met him at a hotel. Somebody said, "I saw Chernobyl." Somebody said, "That dude wants to meet you." I said, "He does." All right, let's go. I went to a hotel, saw this badass guy walking with a cane, and I was like, "This guy's kind of cool." He sat down. Everything he had to say was interesting. And then he said, I might have something you'd like. And uh, I went home and read this script. I was like, yeah, I want to hang out with that dude. And I want to make that crazy movie. <laughs> this part of the story I, I love as well is that he said to you, apparently, we, we may not get this funded because oh, yes. it's, it's a very esoteric drama set yes. in space. And yes. you went, I have a deal with Netflix. Give me a few minutes. <laughs> you went <laughs> off. Is that Something true? Something like that. Well, no, I say, I mean, God, uh, it's, it's, I'm a, I, I sent it over to the, to the powers that be at Netflix and they, they felt what, like I felt. It was just exciting to do a movie that it was a different vibe and I haven't seen anything like this. And, and what you feel from it, it's, it's very interesting to me. It's almost, I t- always tell Johan when I would see it, Almost like a concert movie. You just kind of sit back, let it take you over. The music brings you to places. The visuals bring you to places. What's going on? You have no idea what the hell is going to happen next. And uh, I'm I'm psyched that Netflix was cool enough to say, "Let's let's make that thing." And then yeah, it wasn't you know it wasn't insane the budget, but it wasn't a cheap little thing. So it was it was nice they backed it up. Absolutely. So is there a moment for both of you when you're reading the script? By the way, if you can hear that noise, it's not, I don't have uncontrollable flatulence. There's workmen working next door. And they've chosen the worst possible time to unload. Um, uh, don't worry, man. But is there a moment for you both when you're reading the script for the first time and you think, okay, I'm in? Oh, man. Yeah, but I, I, I think sometimes you even know before, which is really weird. But I, I honestly think that okay. for me, the log line of, of, you know, Adam Sandler in a spaceship alone talking to a giant spider yeah. it, it, you know I'm at least halfway there yeah right like yeah, i right. mean that's kind of like okay well yeah that i want to see that so um i think sometimes you, you even have a feeling before uh it doesn't always pan out but 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 then um 
I don't know. When do you know? How quick do you know? Do you put yourself through trouble afterwards? Do you go, oh, I don't know. Do you, I'm scared, yeah, you know, yeah, like yeah, all yeah, that. I do that. I mean, not I do on, too, not so. on this one, though. I, okay. just, I right away was like, right when I read it, you know what you do? Sometimes you're reading it, you're reading it, you're getting a feeling like, oh, I'm connecting. And then you're just hoping you continue connecting. It doesn't mm-hmm. all of a sudden go into place. So you go, oh, no, I'm not connecting with that, man. Or mm-hmm. I, this thing to the very end, I was, I was excited to be that guy and excited to work with you. Like you said, you being the voice was very calming for me. So I, 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 I love his. Oh, no, disaster. At this point, my interview ended prematurely. Ruined by a dodgy connection somewhere, my end, their end, who knows? Anyway, I wept quietly for a minute, thought I'd blow my chance to talk to Adam Sandler, and then I got reconnected. So here we go. We're back in. Now. Come see us on tour. Oh, Chris, did you? Hey, I'm back. I'm back. I don't know what happened there. Was it the the orchestra you were beating? We didn't get to see? Yeah. I just, I just, I just drifted off. I'm so sorry. I'm so sorry. But, um. (laughs) <laughs> Adam, Adam, you were you were talking about how you felt uh, you found Paul's voice comforting, yes. and then it was just darkness after that. <laughs> I knew nothing else. Buddy, it, it was a, it was a boring story. Believe me, I, it was my love for this guy, and then now I'm with you. I'd hang up too. <laughs> I was like, I'm out of here. <laughs> um, so, but I wanted to talk about about choices, how you both govern your choices, because one of the things I love about both you guys is that you cannot predict at all what you're going to do next certainly not you Jeez, what are you, you as well well, well thanks chris but i think this guy's a little more uh where i don't know what's happening <laughs> me, uh, me you know something a comedy's coming sooner or later true what, what, what the hell are you doing next does anybody know Golly, i don't know what i'm doing next i think i might know what i'm doing next. but I, you know i um i like to be surprised right yeah so that's yes. somebody asked you a question earlier yeah like do you know that you want to do a drama or is it when you read it, it makes you yes, want to do that's it, what right? It is. Same, yes, same yes. with me. So like, I, yeah. I don't, I can't architect, uh, I want to do a science fiction film next, or I right, want to do right. a comedy next, or, right. you know, we, we are sort of, um, that's the best yeah. of the material. Right. And yes. so I think the best feeling is when you read something and you're surprised by it and you kind of go, Oh, I didn't know I needed that now, yeah, right. but I do. And, and so that's really like you're lucky if, if that happens. But you do know you're not supposed to. Like if someone came up to me now and said, I got a great script, it's with a spider, I'd be like, I better skip. I shouldn't do two spiders in a row. <laughs> you know, that's the only thing I make sure. So you said that you know a comedy is always going to be coming for you. So is there, is there a comedy in the works for you right now? Good Lord, I hope so. We're working on stuff. Nothing's done yet, but you, n- you never know until you're shooting. I thought I read you. Are you doing another special, stand-up special? Oh, I'm doing, doing a stand-up special, yeah, yes. Okay. With my friend, uh, old Josh Safty. Do you yeah. know Josh? Yeah, yeah, a little bit. I mean, big, big basketball. I mean, we, yeah, I, yeah, I, I only know from Nick. texting about the he Knicks. He knows the yeah, Knicks, yeah. 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 Josh is directing this comedy special. I'm shooting that when I get back to the States next week, hopefully I'm not oh. jet lagged throughout this special. Imagine if I was jet lagged the whole special, how mad I'd be at, at everybody. <laughs> not myself ever. Uh, shooting that in uh, California, in Glendale. You want to come? Uh, yeah, you don't need to. You'll see. <laughs> you'll, be, you'll be on <laughs> Netflix. I'll send you the link. When it's done. Yeah. yeah, Paul's got the Netflix account. He's just firing them out to maitre d's and waiters left, right, and center. So it He's all so works out nicely. He's so free with that. He's so free with other people's money, it's insane. <laughs> Never seen bigger, bigger bottles of wine. 
<laughs> what is a Josh Safdie shot comedy special going to look like, Adam? I mean, Uncut Gems nearly gave everybody a heart attack. So yeah, yeah. I, I, there's some interesting stuff going on. Josh is working hard. Uh, Josh and uh, and uh, he texts me stuff in the middle of the night that I say, well, I didn't expect that. Didn't know that was coming in my comedy special, but it's pretty damn cool. And Paul, can you talk about working with Adam? I mean, were you always a fan of, of this man? Forget that he's sitting next to you. Who wasn't? Who, Who wasn't? wasn't? I know, a Since, lot of people. A I, lot of people. You know, uh, yeah, I'm a huge, huge, huge fan, truly. Yes. Uh, all the way back to, you know, being in late elementary, middle school, listening to Adam's comedy albums with my friends, which still... Did your parents know you, you know, had that? I think so. I wasn't. I wasn't. He was sneaky. sneaky I, know, I, I wasn't oh, that parented. I hear you. You know, no, no, and not in a bad way. But yeah, I would yeah, take yeah, my yeah. And, and I would take if I was. I would take my grandma. I would take her to the Nobody Beats the Wiz to buy all yeah. the hip hop albums with the because she didn't know, know the difference if the thing was labeled. You oh, know, right. Um, parental, and, and I'm sure your comedy albums were labeled too. So they maybe, were maybe, maybe grandma, maybe grandma got <laughs> me those. Um, yeah, she's and uh, uh, that. That's like you know when when somebody is making you laugh and, and especially in a formative part of your life i said this to adam already but texting with like a high school friend of mine yesterday saying i was with adam and he was like oh that guy's like been important in my life you know like he's given me a lot of good times that's cool um really cool. and so it, it started way back then and, and and up through of course all of the the, the, the different work punch trunk love was a movie that i remember we both when your character you runs when he's running away from those guys and leaps yes. off of the thing oh, yeah, and somehow cool. keeps running. Yeah, that was all. I mean, for me, that was cool. like, I'll always remember seeing that for the first time, right? Oh, I mean, that's amazing, boy, he, man. He's just a brilliant shot and director, yeah. but like, yeah. Um, yeah, so huge fan. I'm, uh, so I'm guessing you guys maybe met before in that sort of Venn diagram of Paul Thomas Anderson, maybe at, at soirees or something like that? We, we actually met at a sushi restaurant. I was sitting at the bar and some guy uh, barges in there and says, I need eight pieces of tuna. Yes. And and I, I always thought, get who, who, who that orders eight pieces of tuna at this nice sushi restaurant? You got to mix it up a little loudly. bit. Who ordered was, so loudly? Also? It was it was Adam. Adam Sandler loves eight it, pieces of sushi. Like the, the burger or the spaghetti and meatballs of like the nice sushi restaurant. Like exactly. Just I know I can tuna. rely on the tuna sushi more than any. My family goes with a lot of other types of sushi. They say sashimi, some things. They always throw, ask for different sauces. I don't know what the hell they're talking about. I just go straight to eight pieces of tuna. Lately, gluten-free soy sauce. We gotta look after ourselves. <laughs> That's right, man. Eight pieces of tuna. That I'm, I'm, I'm gonna What's try that next order? time. What do you usually get, Chris, when you go to a sushi restaurant? I love a bit of mackerel, mackerel nigiri. That's that's. Uh, I, I do wow. like that. Yeah. So, so I'll try that out. I'll see try how that I do out. That. Try that. Out. Get eight pieces, eight pieces, and just offer. I'll see my- if Paul will order that tonight when we go. It's all up to him. All in exchange for a Netflix account. Uh, guys, it's been an absolute pleasure. Thanks so much indeed for your time. All right, time now for the reviews section. And uh, with all due respect to Spaceman, uh, there is only one place to start, and that is Dune. Dune! Part two! Oh. Woot woot! We Dune. are finally here. We are at this place. It is so exciting. Uh, this was obviously my film of the year before I'd even seen it, so mm. it almost seems is redundant at this point. It very much is. <laughs> I, this did absolutely everything I wanted it to do, and I kind of feel like, obviously, stating the plot at this point seems redundant, because I, I feel if anyone's going to get anything from this review, they will have already seen part one. If you are considering watching this, having not seen part one, I <laughs> cannot possibly ever endorse such madness, because I don't, I just, I, there's so much 
the sort of narrative heavy lifting and lore heavy lifting that the first part does, I just think it'd be a massive yeah. disservice to I yourself. Think, to I think, do. like, theoretically, you can. Like, but there don't. is a quick roundup, but don't do that. That's like saying, no. theoretically, you could walk to Belgium, but I wouldn't recommend it. There are trains. <laughs> uh, or sandworms, you know, whichever you please. Uh, but look, so, so, and this is an interesting one, because this film, to me, felt actually made for me. Because... <laughs> And, and I and I firmly believe that Denis or Dennis, depending, you know, me and him were pretty close. Dennis. I call him Dennis. Uh, Dennis made this in such a way that people such as me, who love this shit, who live this shit, who breathe this shit, who've read the book a dozen times, you know, all of it is in there. All of the really dense, like non-diet, full-fat law, it's a hundred percent in there. But he does it in such a way that it doesn't get in the way. That. If you're looking for that stuff, you can mine it, you can revel in it, it's brilliant. You can run naked around the cinema as I did. But if you Yeah, we've don't, all asked him not to. Apologies for he that. Was thrown out. Uh, <laughs> but but if you don't, that's fine, because it can just slide past you because like a sandworm. But because the other stuff that's in this film does land, and I think mm. it does a really good job of and this is something that Herbert doesn't do that well, to be fair in the book. What he does is he brings the human drama to the fore and he slows this film down at points to spend time with these human characters and to get you to care about Paul's burgeoning relationship with. Charney about Stilgar and his kind of weird religious fervor and Stilgar I should say Javier Bardem is this film's secret weapon in terms of comic relief genuinely laugh out loud funny at multiple points Um, but it also has new textures and it needs them because it doesn't have the Caladan of the first film Mm. you know it doesn't have Arakeen and then the desert it is principally in the desert yes we do see Christopher Walken's Emperor on Kaitan which is like a verdant lush world Um, shot in Italy that bit Uh, and you know and we when we encounter Fade Rautha the new Harkonnen, the Nabaran, as we've referenced, uh, we f- meet him on Geardy Prime in this kind of arresting arena sequence shot in complete monochrome under a black sun. And apart from making you look at his teeth and think, dude, brush, uh, it, it, it has very, very... It has a very distinctive feel to it. I believe I, I've heard something about they used infrared cameras for part of this. Like wow. it's it not just bleached of color, but it's it's in, it's incredibly sort of visually vivid, but also a beautiful introduction to that character who is. And I know everyone you say Fade Ralph, they think Sting, they think massive winged copies, but he really feels like a brilliant rounded villain character mm. not a cipher I really loved him I thought Butler played him beautifully that's mm. Austin Butler uh, yes Austin Butler Elvis uh, he he played him really really well and was only slightly method because you can't go full fade Routher on a set or you Definitely get fired not. Um, really loved that stuff uh, you don't get an awful lot of Florence Pugh and Christopher Walken maybe no. I could have done with a little bit more of that you don't get a lot of Leia do either mm. but they do bring a little bit more to this story um, but look I could wank on about this for literal days but I will say the only thing that gave me pause when I watched this was I thought this film is for me is it for everyone Mm. because I was like is the storytelling here too dense in places is it hard to follow because he does like I say he doesn't pull back there is not a whiff of studio interference here this is his vision through and through and I wondered if that might put some people off I have been told by you know some normies recently that that wasn't the case and they loved it and that's great but what did you guys think? I'm going to be honest, I think it's not quite as crisp in terms of storytelling as the first film. Mm. Um, and and I think there are moments, and again, I, look, I was in, you, you, you know me, I, like yourself, I bought the season ticket, I'm there. <laughs> but there were moments where, for example, we go from a rite of passage to a relationship scene to a uh, an attack scene without any sign that we are passing from one of those to the next. There is no breath between those three scenes 
and you, you lose all track of like where am I where am I in this story? What is happening here? Did did that person pass that rite of passage? I guess so because there they are. But like there was no sort of oh well done you've done that let's move on. That doesn't happen. It, so there there were moments where he has cut it to move so fast that you do kind of lose some of those linking breaths. You know, and and I so I do slightly worry that some people are going to lose the run of it as it mm. goes. But but part of the reason he's done that is because he has cut it to go like a train, like it's nearly three hours, and it do, it didn't feel like that to me. Again, I, dr- I have drunk the Kool Aid or the spice water, and it's the, the water of life. The water yeah. of life. You, so you I'm watched in it. it twice, right? Cause, yeah, because we watched it for the second time together. Yeah, and I loved it. I, I loved it the first time. I really loved it. The yes, it time. definitely improved for me on the second watch. That's what I was referring to earlier. That mm. it, it's. I I still loved it on the first watch, although I had notes. But on the second watch, it really smoothed out. Yeah. So yeah, mm. I had a good time. How about you guys? Yeah. What kind of fool would disagree with our superlative praise of that? Oh, is it my turn? Would you like to go now, <laughs> like Alex? Uh, look, it's very impressive. Okay. Boy, uh, I it, no. sense some... no it chapter two. I think we I can all sense agree. some oh faint praise coming, guys. <laughs> I very much enjoyed it, chapter two, and I will have no more of this. Um, listen, you can't knock it as a piece of, I don't know, artistry, filmmaking. Um, it looks great. It's awe-inspiring. It's massive. It sounds great. It looks good. It looks good. Everyone's beautiful in it. Everyone looks incredible. Blah, blah, blah. Now, <laughs> why? Why? Did it not affect me on any emotional level whatsoever at any point? There is a lot of juicy stuff that happens in this film between people. I don't want to spoil any of it because not everyone is a boffin (laughs) and not everyone has read these books. But there is a lot of, on paper and on screen, a lot of human drama, but you don't feel it. I didn't feel any big human moments in it. And there is stuff happens towards the end of two or three big things that, ordinarily I would like to be very moved by I was not moved by it at all I was very impressed by what I saw and what was happening but I didn't care I don't give a shit what happens to Paul Latrice in this film I don't <gasps> think he's someone that you could care about I just oh, I don't know. think you can and like, I will say uh, don't be Zen- a moi dick <laughs> okay oh, Zendaya God. is the heart and soul of I agree this with that film. I was yes. about to say and she does a lot of the heavy lifting mm. and she makes him feel like more of a human character because of her reactions to him and I think that's intentional but um, still it's like I watched it all and I felt very emotionally detached I kind of agree with Alex about the emotional connection of it I'm not sure that I felt that but I'm not sure that I needed to it's weird that you guys talk about it as like moving like a train moving really fast because I, I felt that it was slow I felt that it was ponderous that mm. I didn't mind it but I thought that other people might, kind of what you're thinking James like I'm kind of amazed that this exists. And yeah. I rather, and on a, on the kind of mainstream level it's being marketed at, are people really going to love it and engage with it and see it all the way through? I don't know. It's kind of um, amazing to me. Mm. Yeah. But, so I did think, similarly to the first one, I absolutely adored the first one. And it's hard to judge this one when the first one felt like such a new vision, a new cinematic language, visually how sort of intense it was it took me so by surprise and this is obviously revisiting that world it doesn't have that newness that's like a positive for the first one so it's hard to judge but I think for both of the films the the plot's actually quite light like there's not like a lot a lot of like little plot points Mm. 
And so it feels stretched out to me. But for me, I just love being in that world and in those textures. And it's also tactile and it's like close-ups and it's long shots. And it's the feel of it all to me is enough to get me through, even if I don't feel the Mm. character drama in the way that I necessarily want to. Can I ask what you all thought of the... I don't think it's a spoiler to say that there are some big sandworm sequences in this film, but it's, it's, it's that as well. It's not even the smaller human moments. You know, there's, there's the first big sandworm sequence that happens in this film. I felt like I should have found that exhilarating, but I was just watching it thinking, that looks good, that's quite cool. It didn't make me feel all the things that the, you know, the was, Avatar sequel I know what you did. mean. I was literally gripping like my seat really? at that point. Yeah, I was so tense... And obviously, like, the person involved, I, I knew what was going to happen. Like, it was going to be fine. I was so incredibly, incredibly tense for that scene. Right. And, like, this sounds mad to say because this is a huge epic film, but I felt I felt like I was expecting a bigger third act in a way. That's, that's an interesting you, point. And that's something I think we can get into this in the spoiler special yeah, but there so is definitely a conversation to be had there around choices that were made and if you're a really big fan mm. of the books there are some significant changes here right okay not least I don't of know any the of the books, sorry, right. um, so, but that this is all stuff of the spoiler special I think yeah but yes, yeah but it's, it's, but, it's, it's an interesting conversation there I mm. thought it was climactic I thought it was successfully climactic thematically in terms of what was happening to those characters at the end yeah. and what it was exploring mm. philosophically but yeah, I felt a little underwhelmed by, you know, the thrills and spills at the end of the film. Mm-hmm. I well, think I'm in a minority, though. I think you are. Empire has given this four stars, which is very much a recommendation. And teetering. It was teetering on five. I should think I so know too. this because Ben wrote the review and he was yeah. very conflicted about it. <laughs> he had to see it twice, yeah. to be sure. Well, it, I, I'm, I'm not mad about the four stars, but I would also no. put it at a high four, personally. So that is four stars for Denis Villeneuve's Dennis, sorry. Sorry, Dennis, Dennis Villan- Villanueva. Villanueva, yes. Oh, good Lord. Uh, June <laughs> part two, God help us all. Uh, next up, let's talk about Lisa Frankenstein. Now, we, of course, mentioned Jennifer's body before. This comes again from screenwriter Diablo Cody and is yet another mix of horror and teen movie. Sophie, explain to me what's going on. I mean, I have seen it, but explain to the audience. Explain what's going again. <laughs> yeah, so this is written by Diablo Cordy back on, on screenwriting duty. It's directed by Zelda Williams, who is Robin Williams' daughter. Cool. It's a nice little detail. Um, so, yeah, it stars Catherine Newton as Lisa. Um, it's set in like the 80s, and she's basically a bit of a weirdo, a bit of a goth at school. She hasn't got that many friends. She's a bit socially awkward, and she goes to this kind of graveyard. She's got this crush basically on this person's grave that she sits by every day and through some um fantastical happenings um she kind of reanimates the corpse of a character who's only ever called the creature played by cole sprouse uh riverdale's cole sprouse star of the sweet life of zach and cordy cole sprouse um <laughs> and they have this kind of frankensteinian love story which is very fun um And this is built out by, I mean, so Lisa's got um, a stepsister called Taffy, played by Lisa Soberano, who's very fun. She's got this, her dad is kind of a guy who doesn't really do a lot. And she's got this very um, overbearing stepmother, played by Carla Gugino. Gugino, Gugino. Gugino, who um, is obviously excellent in everything. Mm -hmm. Um, And she's on very fun, uh, she's doing a lot of fun stuff in this. Um, She's really exaggerated her character, it's really fun. 
And so it just kind of goes along as her and the creature kind of get closer and he doesn't really talk at all. He just sort of grunts, but he kind of is the perfect boyfriend in that way because he allows Lisa to just do all the talking and it's kind of nice to see that. It's a fun sort of turn on the head of this um, boyfriend who's just there to serve her really in all of her whims. Um, It is, it's teen horror and it's comedy it's got both of those elements, but in quite a kind of gentle way, I would say. The biggest issue for me with this one was just the the pacing of it, kind of. So it's got lots of, it's got everything you need, all the right ingredients. Like Catherine Newton's gives a glorious performance. She's like having so much fun with it. It looks amazing. The score's cool, but it's kind of like the pacing and the editing of it. It means that it feels quite stilted at times. Um, this might be quite intentional, but it means that it's hard to get into a flow with mm-hmm. it. And so it means where you want kind of like, you know, like gag after gag or scare or whatever it is that happens, it feels a bit um, drawn out in places and kind of, yeah, hard to get on its rhythm, I would say, which like adds to the weirdness, which is fun, but also kind of leaves you thinking, oh, they could have pushed that a little bit more or could have drawn us in a little bit more. So it's a fun time. Yeah. It won't blow your mind, but I, I had a lot of fun with it. I think... It shows a lot of promise for Zelda Williams as a director. And I think Catherine Newton absolutely delivers, as does Cole Sprouse. This is such a great, he's like a kind of, you know, teen heartthrob in a way. And he's embracing this role where he doesn't get to say anything and he just does all this weird stuff. He looks really gross for a lot of it. I really like that about it. Um, <laughs> so there's a lot of good stuff, but um, yeah, it, it, it doesn't give you as good a time as you quite want it to. It did not hang together for me either, I have to say. It really, I mean, again, I think Catherine Newton's great, not just because she used to be in Supernatural, but also that. <laughs> um, I think she's fantastic. I also really liked, um, we should say, Lisa Soberano, who plays her... MVP. Um, yeah, who plays her sort of stepsister, who is this massively popular girl who's mm. trying her best to be super nice to her weird sister it kind of goes against the trope of this yes, like of the mean, mean girl. girl she's yeah. actually very very nice and she's trying to get lisa involved in stuff but lisa's kind of like eh, yeah. not involved not um, interested I, and and so yeah so i kind of i i just i just find the tone pretty impossible to mm. click into and i didn't understand where it was going so maybe this is a film that will click for me second time around but like i thought it was going to have a bit more welly than it did in a few respects i thought it was going to push a couple of things harder than it did mm. and i felt very torn between really quite silly humor and really quite violent violence like this is not a film for the squeamish yeah that's true that's true so it's kind of, it's a weird film it's a really weird movie um, <laughs> maybe this is how this is maybe how I felt about Jennifer's body at the yeah, time. Yeah, and this, it's, is, this is why I'm like, of, maybe it's going to switch yeah. for me suddenly when I watch it again. But but first time around, certainly I was, I did laugh. There were very, yeah. there were very funny bits, but I was, I spent a lot of the film just going, what the fuck. <laughs> so yeah, a slightly weird one for me. James, any comments? Any thoughts? I hated this. Absolutely hated it. Um, I, no, I really, really did. And I agree with you to a point. And I think uh, Lisa Sobrano is outstanding in this. I thought Catherine Newton was so much fun as well. Performances, I really cannot fault this at all. I thought they were all great. I really found the direction all over the place. Uh, and and like she goes for this sort of slightly sub-Burton pseudo fairy tale aesthetic which just didn't mm. really work for me but more than anything else Diablo Cody who's a very talented screenwriter I just felt this was very weak from top to bottom and like she's capable of incredibly good dialogue mm, and she's yeah. a great storyteller and I didn't think any of it was here and I just got the sense that the film 
wasn't all that interested in its characters or what was going on and therefore by extension I wasn't sure why I should be so I was exceptionally bored all the way through it and honestly like you know and it's interesting because if you look at the reviews for this film they have run the entire gamut you've got near five star ratings and you've got literally zero stars from some publications what i'm probably closer to the latter i wouldn't give it zero but i'm probably between a one and a two for this one i have to say Uh, i thought this was this was particularly weak don't let that put you off. <laughs> if you want like a pretty good time with some then funny watch weird June stuff, again. <laughs> then you know, don't don't write it off too much. Empire's official rating is a three star rating, which mm-hmm. is a recommendation. I haven't seen it, by the way. Hence my silence. I'm That's not. absolutely fine because we're about to <laughs> bring you back in. We're going to bring you back in because it is time to talk about Space Man. Spaceman. Spaceman. Oh, where's wanted you to go? <laughs> Amazing. One for the 90s kids. <laughs> yeah, classic tune, children. I could go on about Babylon Zoo because I Please had do. that 12 inch single. <laughs> I loved that advert. I mean, it's really. I, it was I, a great I, advert. It was. It was well, Levi's, Levi's? were on a tear. Yeah, because yeah. they, they did Flat Beat as well. They, they went through a period of doing these great tracks on their, on their adverts. Nick Kamen? Uh, sure. Well, that was uh, was that Marvin Gaye. Anyway, that was pre-existing material. <laughs> anyway, <laughs> young people were talking about uh, a song called Spaceman, which was on an old advert that used to show on terrestrial TV for a brand called Levi's. Little did we know when we all fell in love with that fast-sounding singing on that advert that the actual song was not sped up and was a boring old dirge. True. That's true. Oh, well. Anyway, what are we doing? We're what? talking about Spaceman. Spaceman! Oh, boy. <laughs> um, okay, Spaceman, um, as uh, d- discovered by you people in the interview that Chris did with uh, Adam Sandler and Paul Dano, is is a film about a spaceman. Directed by, I hope I'm pronouncing this correctly, I believe probably Johan Renk. And um, he is he's made a couple of films, but he's worked a lot in TV. He's done Breaking Bad, he's done Walking Dead, he's done Bloodline. And for me, what's most exciting about him is he did a lot of Chernobyl, which was one of the greatest TV dramas Mm -hmm. of all time. He did such beautiful work on this. And now he's directed this. And in its own way, this is a beautiful little film. But it is a little film. It is a very little film, but I liked it. And it's it's adapted from a book called Spaceman of Bohemia, which I have not read. But Adam Sander basically plays an astronaut who's floating around somewhere in space Doing a research job, something I can't quite remember. Uh, I saw this film a good few weeks ago. I, On a cloud. It, basically, a sort of cosmic cloud has appeared near Jupiter. It's always near Jupiter. That's when things, if something comes he's, into orbit near yeah. Jupiter, it, it's a problem. He's searching for the event horizon. That's he, what he's doing. Exactly. Mm. Or like, you know, the, the monolith. I'm just saying, yeah. beware Jupiter. But he's out there basically to Sun- investigate this samples. cosmic cloud and collect samples and yeah. bring them back to Earth. It speaks volumes about our... our Sci-fi yeah. touchstones there. That I mean, yours it, is 2001 and mine is Event Horizon, but carry on. I will say it's not particularly... It's not hard sci-fi, let's just put it no. that way. Um, it, it, he's, so he's alone on this spaceship. Uh, it's basically him in a little room, which, and, which mm. is basically a spaceship. And he starts to hear voices, specifically one voice. Um, Paul Dano's voice. Paul Dano's... Well... I would have no idea that was Paul Dana's voice. I did True. not have yeah. any idea it was Paul Dana's voice until I saw his name in the credits. Did you? Yeah. But did I you know he was in, in it beforehand? I, I mean, yes. Well, yeah. then you knew already. I but wouldn't like, have known from the voice because he no puts way. on this slightly... But bear in mind, all the way through this, everyone is super soft-spoken yes, but and you, very dreamy. You guys weren't into the Fablemans as much as I was and the Fablemans, that's me, his voice. Excuse me. Five star review by me and Pine. Okay, well, in that case. Well, then you should have known because that's his, like, I'm a nice guy voice as opposed to his, I'm a psycho voice. (laughs) Oh, it's more like, hello. Hello. 
No, My it's name really is Paul nice. Dana. No, like that wasn't supposed to be voice. sinister. That's just me. Oh, okay. Well, <laughs> well anyway, well, anyway, where were we? So he's. Is he hearing voices or is he not? Basically, it is soon revealed that the voice he is hearing is this big spidery alien, which may be there or may not be there, doesn't really matter. Either way, this big spidery alien called Hanus, I think Adam Hanush. Hanush, Hanush. Hanush. He, he, I think he names him that he names after him, yeah. our friend. Um, what basically happens is the big spidery alien, Hanush, ends up becoming a sort of therapist for yeah. Adam Sandler's uh, spaceman and ends up helping him to unpack his own problems and delve through the fragments of the broken relationship with his wife, played back home um, in small little scenes by Carrie Mulligan, who's very good um, at doing what she's got to give, in the, uh, at doing what she's given in this film, which, which isn't a hell of a lot. It's basically just little, little talky scenes. Now, not much else goes on. Um, like I said, it's a small little talky. Um, Adam Sandler, I would say... Unless I'm missing something, I think this is the most dialed down he's ever been. Yes. Now, that is intentional. I love Adam Sandler's dramas more than I love a lot of his comedies. Mm. Um, I like sort of all the aspects of Adam Sandler. And this is a sort of new tone that he's doing, or certainly a more extreme version of what he's done before in terms of just keeping it small. It is an out-and-out drama. I don't think he plays a single line for lols in this film. There's nothing overtly comedic. It's sort of gently funny in the... But, in the sort of surreal relationship he has with this alien. But I really, really liked him in it. Um, it's a very introspective little film, and, and he suits it well. He's soul-searching, and he's trying to sort of repair himself, and the little alien helps him to do that. It's it's a thoughtful film. It's quite pretty, I think. There are some really mm. nice little spacey sequences in it. It's quite sad. It's quite sweet. It is a little, I would say, on the negative uh, scale, it's all a little obvious. It's a little pat. It's a little trite, but I think it's done nicely. I think it's sincere. I think it's heart. It's in its in the right place. But we gave it a four. I think that's generous. Uh, I would. <laughs> I, well, I think it's a good three star film. I don't think it's reinventing anything. I think it's doing what it does quite well. Mm. I think you'd maybe give it four because because it's like I say, it's, it's a sweet film. Its heart is in the right place. I don't think it's doing anything outstanding but I enjoyed it not sweet in kind of like a saccharine way though because this this film has a kind of this bone deep melancholy that kind mm. of soaks the whole thing and everyone speaks in this very sort of soft almost dreamy wistful yeah. sorrowful way so it's got a real downbeat energy and I, I do think this probably is trigger warning for extreme arachnophobics because the spider is the size of a Labrador and it's a lot. <laughs> Much bigger than um, a Labrador. I don't know. I had a pretty big Labrador. But oh. uh, but yeah, I mean, it's the spider's quite... But again, like, it's it's really interesting and the conversations... But I know what you're saying about it being slightly slight. Like, it's a little bit Psych 101 at times, you know. It is. But, yeah. But I I had a pretty good time with this. It has yeah, to be I said. Like I thought it was I thought it was really nice. I got I got quite into the tone. Mm. Um, and I'm not a fan of the Sandman at all. Quite really? the opposite, in fact. Uh, I I find him quite aggravating. But I, I I very much liked him in this. I was I was really into it as well. It's it has some shades of Moon maybe and things like that about mm. it. Silent Running, obviously. Uh, I imagine was a touchstone as well. But it also Solaris. has like an. Yeah, well, no, I didn't like Solaris, though. No, either, no, no, either no. But it has, a, it has a, a willy. There are moments of this that did remind me of Solaris. Yeah, I guess that makes sense. But um, but no, and it also has an interesting... I, I quite enjoyed the real-world setting of it, so it's almost a sort of... It's almost like a alt-history kind of future Eastern Europe communism yeah. Yeah. kind of yeah. a weird yeah. thing. And I, I quite enjoyed those those Earth scenes. They, they felt quite interesting because, you know, you kind of have him being 
sponsored by companies back home <laughs> and and stuff like that, which is which was kind of silly and funny, but uh, but yeah. also oddly plausible. You know, again, shades of my beloved uh, for all mankind, maybe. Um, but yeah, so the setting I thought and the world building was was really really good. And then yeah, Adam Sandler is great, and I have to say also don't love all of his comedies in recent years, or indeed in most of this century, but his dramatic work mm. can be fucking great. This is this is the guy who turned up for Punch Drunk Love and Uncut Gems, as far as I'm concerned. Yeah. And, you know, yeah. those are incredible performances. So um, He's great in it. He's great in it. He's he, sell, really he sells this role, because it's actually yeah. probably quite a challenging role, because it's so small and underplayed, but he sell, he, you, it feels like he's really going through it. Mm. Mm. And doesn't this film pretty much begin with him having a zero G poo? So, Does it? You know, well, that's quite a bold move. It, it, yeah. Okay. You're. I feel like you're putting people off here. <laughs> anyway, Empire gave it four stars, which very much is a recommendation. And uh, and yeah, that's a pretty good week for cinema. Spaceman, not in cinemas. It's on Netflix. And that is it for this week's Empire podcast. Join us this Friday in Birmingham. Yes. Hello. Next Wednesday in Norwich. Yes. Thanks very much. Uh-huh. On the 13th in Sheffield, the 21st in Dublin, or the 28th in Salford, tickets are still available on empireonline.com slash podtour or on Ticketmaster. Although, Dublin's nearly sold out. So if oh, you are mm. in Ireland and you want to come, better get your skates on. Absolutely. And as a reminder, we have 12% of a plan for these shows, so they're going to be pretty fun. Um, next week, uh, here in the studio, we'll be joined by some guests, but I don't know which ones because Chris wouldn't tell me. Uh, <laughs> so that's fantastic. And until then, until we meet again, until that auspicious occasion, it's goodbye from Alex. Sayonara. It's goodbye from Sophie. May your knife chip and shatter. Wow. That I believe, it? I believe that's aimed at my Lisa Frankenstein review. Yeah. <laughs> my aggressive. knife will not chip. <laughs> As you stab me with it. Yes. <laughs> it's goodbye from James. Dune! Except do not watch Dune on Friday night. Instead, drive to Birmingham and come and see us live and then I go and see Dune on just Saturday. just said it. I mean, I how many times are we going to say Well, I feel like you have to yeah, redo fine. it. It's repetition, Helen. And it's a goodbye from me. I'm off to Dune! <laughs> Dune! Dune. <laughs> <laughs> oh, God.